Psalm 115, please. In part one, I explained what I meant by the absolute sovereignty of God. And we looked at the absolute sovereignty of God and salvation and election, predestination and so forth last week. We're going to look again at the absolute sovereignty of God. And what, first of all, we're going to start this morning where we left last week and what he delights in and what he does not delight in being the absolute sovereign. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold and the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. So they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Let's pray. Father, take your own word, we pray, and wing it to our hearts. Take it, Lord, and inscribe it there and print it upon our minds. May the Spirit of God, may he help us see with the reality of the Scriptures and their truth, the absolute sovereignty of God in all things and in all matters. Help this man of frailty, I pray, and glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. Now, the last two uh, weeks that we had done a study on this, uh, we used uh, Revelation 4 and verse 11, which was, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Notice, for thy pleasure they are and were created. We even looked at the word worthy, and the word worthy gives the idea of axilos. It means to weigh up like a balance, an axle, where God's worthiness outweighs all other things. So he would, as it were, weigh down the scale as the other would come up. Some years ago, I seen a, a, a wonderful quotation from Abraham Kuyper. And this is what he said. I've written it down in the, in the very front of my Bible. And it just reminds me all the time when, when I have those times of what next? When I have those times of doubting? When I have those times of concern? When I have those times... I read about the sovereignty of God, and again, as Spurgeon says, the sovereignty of God is the pillow in times of trial on which we can rest our heads. And I've written this by Abraham Kuyper, and it reads like this. There is not a square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. In other words, he is sovereign over everything. The sovereign Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the keeper, the maker, and the sustainer of all things, upholding all things by the word of his power. And Christ and Christ alone is that absolute sovereign deity clothed in humanity. 
And so when we look at Psalm 115, verses 1 to 3, we have Christ, as it were, or the Lord God, he is proclaimed as sovereign. And then when we go from verses 4 to 8, as we have read there, he he looks at other so-called gods, stone and wood and all sorts of idols, Send they kneel before them, they pray before them, they bow before them. They can't do anything. They can do nothing. But the living God is our Father, our Father in heaven. Notice here, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Verse 2, wherefore should the heathen say, where is neither God? Verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Notice, he hath done whatsoever he pleases. Now I know there's times of loss, family loss, bereavement, hardship, sickness, financial loss, trials. I understand because we've all been through them. That there's things that we just don't know and can't work out. Simple as that. I don't know all the answers, neither do they have them. But there are things that's happened in my life and they'll be happening in your life that we just don't know why and we can't understand them. I have to lean, rest my head on the sovereignty of God. I have to say, well, Lord, you know best. And I have to say, Lord, you know what you're doing even when I don't know what you're doing. And here it says that the Lord doth hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now the word pleased here is the word chafetz. Chafetz. And it means to please, be pleased in, to take pleasure in. Notice that, to take pleasure in. And notice it means to delight in. So he hath done whatsoever he pleased, what he pleased, what his pleasure was. What he delighted in. Brothers and sisters, sometimes human beings, because we can't understand this, we think that God is even cruel at times. Said it last week. But he's still God. Whether a man believes in him or not, or a woman believes in him or not, changes him not one iota. He remains the same yesterday and today and forever. He is still God. He was God when you put your head on the pillow last night. He was God whenever you were sleeping on your bed. He was God when you opened your eyes this morning. He was God when you drove or came here, whatever transport you came in. He's God and he's God as you're sitting here this moment. And there's nothing escapes his grip nor under his eye. He is sovereign. He is omnipresent. He is a God who is everywhere at once, as it were. He, he knows everything about you. He's omniscient. Knows everything in your life, your thoughts, your mind, your word before you put it into your mouth. He knows it. He's omniscient. And we find here that, God, where are you? He's God no matter whether someone believes in him or not. He's God whether you think he's God or not. He's still God whether you and I disagree with him or not. He's still God if you fall out with him or not. He's still God. 
our will, your will, brother, sister, your will, and my will must be swallowed up by the will of God. It's difficult. It's trying. It's hard. We wrestle. We're like Jacob wrestling all night with it. Maybe for a long time with it. But his will must always swallow up our will. Notice here, this word, kafetz, to he hath pleased. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Kafetz means to delight in, to take pleasure in. Now, if you want, you can turn, but I'm going to read this just to get through some stuff because we're, we're, we're more on this morning. We're a little bit late. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, the Lord is looking at the state of Israel and he looks at their worship. He looks at their, their sin. And he's really saying in this, we're just going to pick one verse just for the moment. And he's really saying, see what you're offering me? It means absolutely nothing. And it cannot please me. Isaiah 1 and verse 11, it say, he says, to what purpose, notice, is the multitude of your sacrifices unto? You're doing a lot of sacrificing rather than obeying Israel. Maybe he says that to some of us. You do a lot of sacrificing afterwards. In other words, it's, it's better to obey than sacrifice. Isn't that what the scriptures tell us? And sometimes we say, well, sure, God will forgive me anyway. Is that a way to live, brother, sister? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul says in Romans chapter 6? God forbid, for if we are dead to sin, then how shall we live there any longer therein? And we take note of this here. He's saying, for what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of the rams and of the fat of fed beasts. Notice, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs. God's saying, see all the blood sacrifice you're doing? Yes, that's what you're told to do. But I'm sick and tired of it. That's what he's saying. I'm sick, sore, and tired of it, we would say. Had enough of that. You know why? Because you're not changing. Because you're not growing. Because you're not going on with me. Because you're not obeying. I'm sick, sore, and tired of it that you live how you like, then come back again and again. You go over and over and over and over again. This is Israel in ancient days. He's speaking of. And you and I aren't much different. Still the same flesh. Take note in this, he says, and I delight not in it. Notice, I delight not. The word is kafetz. I don't take pleasure in the bulls and all the sacrifice. I don't take pleasure when you act a certain way. I don't take pleasure, child, when you do this, son, daughter. I don't take pleasure when you come and you say, oh, forgive me again. I I forgive you, but I don't take pleasure in that. So what is it that God does take pleasure in that you and I are forgiven when we come to him? God doesn't take pleasure with you going to a church or a chapel or wherever, a place of worship for the sake of religion's sake. He doesn't take pleasure in a person who bows down at an, an idol, a statue of whatever it's made from. 
It takes no pleasure in it. And our nation is full of it. What do you take pleasure in, Lord, that I may come? Because you're sovereign. You do what you will. What do you take pleasure in? Well, will you turn with me to the chapter 53, please, of Isaiah. And I'm sure every single one of us knows this chapter, this portion of Scripture. But I just want to lift out one or two things here. Isaiah 53, please. This is known as the the, the chapter of the cross. This is though Isaiah... So you have the four evangelists in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they're known. Isaiah was called by scholars the fifth evangelist because he's under the cross. So what does the Father take pleasure in? And just for time's sake, we're only going to read a verse or two here. Let your eye, if you will, run down to verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, hath laid on the Son, Jesus. The Father laid on this man, Jesus. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let your eye run down, please, for time's sake, to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Do you see the word there in verse 10? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's the same word, kafetz. That the Father took delight. Pleasure. It pleased him when the Son went to the cross. And again, I mentioned something similar last week. Let's just sit back, sit back for a moment and think about this. You're asking me to do what, Lord? Oh, Lord, but I love that thing and I don't want to let it go. I don't want to give it over. I don't want to release it. I love that thing. And the Lord's saying, surrender it. Or that sin, whatever it may be. You think maybe, we, we could think maybe that God's hard at times. God's maybe cruel at times. Because he's asking, because he says, you have to trust me no matter what, through the hardest of times, even times of mourning. There's a family in here, from here this morning that are mourning over the loss of a loved one. The hardest thing is to say to them, you know, well, God's sovereign will, because it's, they're hurting But brothers and sisters, when you get, get the grips with it at times, you get to a place where you surrender that, whether it's a hurt or whatever it may be, you, you, you surrender that to God. And what it does, it's, as Spurgeon said, it is the, the, the sovereign pillow that you can rest your head on, knowing that you can't change the situation when they're gone. And you maybe can't change the situation that you're in. But he can bring you through it. And he changes you. And sometimes we say, 
Oh, Lord, will you remove this storm? Remove this storm. And the Lord says, no, I brought this storm for you to change you in the storm. To change you in that storm. What does he delight in? He delights in his son. He delights in the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says here, it pleased the Lord to bruise him in Isaiah 53 and 10, in and of itself, that is the pain and the suffering of the Son of God, it's not that the Father gloated over that in pleasure. That's not what it really means, but he was pleased with the work his Son accomplished. Completely surrendered to the will of the Father. He was pleased with the sacrifice of his Son, the giving of his Son himself, he laid himself down to the death of the cross. Hung, hung and bleeding and dying between heaven and earth. Between two three thieves. And, and there, there the father looks and says, I'm going to pour my wrath out on you. I'm going to punish you. Why? Because he took my sin. And he took yours. And the father says, I'm going to punish him. Him, I'm going to punish him. But you love him. Yes, I do. But I love you. And the only way to save you is to punish him. It's to punish him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The word actually here gives the idea God was completely and fully pleased. The Father was completely and fully pleased. In Matthew 3 and 17, remember Jesus is being baptized in the River Jordan and the, the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and there's a voice out of the heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The words beloved Son there is the words agapetosphias. And it's agapetos is where agape comes from. Or agape, some people pronounce it, but agape love. Agape love. You know that love, it's Calvary love, people say, and that's what it is. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's Calvary love, yeah. And, and it's the love that, you know, goes the extra mile and does the extra thing. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can say that. But the rendering's stronger than that. Agape love or agapatos is the son of my love. Here he is in the River Jordan. He's on the mount. This is my beloved son as well, transfigured. I love him, he says. I love him. The father says, I love him. Yet he put him to the tree. In the river Jordan, this is my beloved. On the mountain, glistering, white like the sun. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Yet he put him to the tree. He crucified him. Brothers and sisters, do you not feel loved this morning? Do you not feel loved? Did you not know you're loved? He did this for you and for me. So I'm going off track. I have to get back my notes in a minute because we're in a study. Agapetus weus, agapetus or agape, you know, that extra love that goes extra mile, Calvary's love. Here's what it is. It is a love that is called out of one's heart according to the preciousness 
of the object that is loved. I'm going to say it again. It is the love which is called out of one's heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. My, I've given this, so you've heard this maybe once, twice, or people who have never heard this. Let me give you this illustration. So years ago, Alison and I, we lived in Bonbridge, and Ellie was just born, and I used to totter Jody up as we toddler. And the A1 came through the Castlewell Road, goes over the top of it, and there's a bridge, and it comes round the bend from Dermore towards Neary, comes under the, the bridge. And Jody could walk a bit, and the carrier were out for a walk, and I used to carry her like this. She sat in my arm, and her head's about here, and she looked up the road, and she's looking up the road. There was the bend in the road. And when a lorry, a truck was coming down, she used to get all excited and used to go. <laughs> and if they saw her, they blasted the horns. And then she started doing it with cars and everything because they thought this was great. One day, she was in my arms. She was looking up the road. And there was no cars. And up around the bend, and she was like this. Didn't blink, didn't move. And it got to the point, it was quite a prolonged period of time, there was nothing came down that road. And she was totally oblivious that I was holding her in my arms. Totally oblivious that she was in my arms. She was totally oblivious that I was even there. So just still like that. Our girls go out and they go, Cheerio, Mom. And I go, Hello? <laughs> I think they're afraid of me going, Where are you going? Where are you with? Where are you? <laughs> and she's looking up and around this, waiting for, so fixated looking ahead, she's forgot I'm even there. She's forgot that I'm holding her in my arms. And I'm looking up the road with her, going, Where's these lorries or trucks coming down? And I'm looking at her and I'm looking there and I'm looking there and I'm gazing at her. Never mind what's going on there, you know. I'm gazing at my wee daughter in my arms. Never mind what's happening. And suddenly out of my mouth I said, how do you make me love you so much? And Jody turned to me and went, huh? Huh? And I said, Jody, how do you make me love you so much? Just that wave of, I love her. You know, brothers and sisters, it realized, I realized from that time that agape love is the love which is called out of one's heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. Victoria, you've got we eating there. And she doesn't have to do a lot. She can't do as much as we baby. But you're nursing her. She calls the love out of your heart. Isn't that right? It's agape love. She doesn't have to do cartwheels and do special things. It's nice when they bring you nice big gifts. Or if they tell you they love you, it warms your heart, doesn't it? it makes, oh, that's, that's me. You know, they warm your heart, but they don't have to do anything to, to make you love them, as it were. It's like you radiate love. They, they call it out because there they are. And brothers and sisters... Before you were even born, you called out the love of God 
And when you were born, that love met you at birth. That's agape love. So when the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, whether in the Jordan or up the Mount of Transfiguration, whichever one it is, he's saying, see him? This one here? This one in the Jordan? This one here who I'm showing his glory here on the mountain? I love him! And he calls the love out of my heart. He calls the love out of my heart. And yet it pleased the father to bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You know, when I think of that, How dare I ever think, Lord, do you still love me? How dare I ever question, Lord, do you still accept me? How dare I think anything? But thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And you in Christ, when you're saved, you in Christ, he sees you as his son. His daughter. So the father delights in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the the sovereignty of God again in Revelation chapter 1, please. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 18. Who has the red letter edition of the King James? Would you put your hand up? Red letter edition. The words of Jesus are in red. See, mine isn't. I got this one from the States. but So sometimes you may be accosted by a Muslim and they'll say, show me where Jesus says he's God. In red writing. That's what they say. Because if it's an apostle, they won't accept it. So if you have read writing in it, verse 18, this is the risen Christ. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And have the keys of death and of hell. I hear the Calvary coming. (laughs) Whose is that? I know there's a few cowboys come in here, like, but I don't know. There's somebody's bag there. See the words, I am. I am. John gives seven I ams in his gospel. See the words, I am. Do you know what the Lord is saying here? See the one who Moses met in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush and the voice came out and he says, paraphrasing, going to send Moses to Egypt to release the Israelites. And he says, if, if the people ask me who sent me, what am I going to say? He says, you'll just say, I am that I am have sent you. I am. It gives the idea of eternal being. Not I was or I will be or at some time or another. I am. Here and now, I am. 
This is Jesus he's talking to. He might be looking at a bush on fire, not consumed, but he's speaking to the Lord Jesus here. And he says, I am that I am, I'll send thee. And he says, that'll be my name forever. <laughs> in other words, he says, that's who I am forever and all of eternity. I am sovereign, supreme. You're not allowed to say Jesus is the only way to God now or Jesus is God. You're getting to the point now we are not allowed to say even the name of Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only way to the Father and Jesus is almighty God clothed in flesh. He says here, I am, and I am of Sandy. So when we look at this, the word here in Revelation 1 and 18, I am Alpha and Omega, that's the Greek New Testament, or the, pardon me, the Greek alphabet where the New Testament is mainly written in. There's some Aramaic words there, but Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the end. Do what Jesus is saying. And the beginning and the ending and the whole lot. I'm everything. He is everything too. If you know him, he's everything. Is he everything? To you? Is he everything? Paul calls him Christ who is my life. Shall appear. Is he everything? He is my everything. He is my all. He is my everything, both great and small. He gave his life for me, made everything new. He is my everything, now how about you? He is my everything, he is my all. He is my everything, both great and small. He gave his life for me. He made everything new. He is my everything. Now how about you? The word I am, and he says the almighty. The word almighty In verse 8, pardon me, go to verse 8 of Revelation 1. He says again, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, notice, which is which, and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Not an Almighty. You can't have two Almighties. If you have two Almighties, one Almighty, one Almighty himself. You only have one Almighty. The definite article is mentioned here. The Almighty. Not from Psalm 115 where there's 
other so-called gods? The Almighty. See the word here for Almighty? It's the word Pantocrator. Pantocrator. And it means one who holds sway over all things. I'm going to say it again. He's saying, I am the one who holds sway over all things. The day and the hour that we're living in. Everyone hears, whether it's in mainstream media and social media, or whether it's talking around the, in society, all you hear is doom and gloom. And even Christians start to get the old, oh, dearie me, woe is me. Listen, all oh, the world, the devil, and all this. Listen, the devil's defeated. We're on the winning team. Christ holds sway over all things. He is the Almighty. There only is one. And he says, the, the Almighty. Notice here, it just simply means one who holds sway over all things, or ruler of all. My time is really gone. Give us another five minutes and we'll, we'll round this up. Go to Revelation chapter 5, please. So John has the vision of glory, of heaven. And there is a, a book with seals on it, and no one's able to open the seals and loosen the scroll, as it were, or open the book. In verse 5, no one was found worthy. In verse 4, verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Notice the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Verse 6, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Now, this mighty angel says, shouting through heaven, who's worthy? No one's worthy. John starts to weep. There's weeping here. Don't be weeping, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is prevailed. John looks to see the lion. What does he see? He sees a lamb. You see, you and I must behold the lamb to be saved. Isn't that right? The lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who taketh away the sin of the world. We must come to the lamb, trust in the lamb. But you realize that heaven sees him as a lion? He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And John looks and sees a lamb, not a lion. See, from earth looking to heaven, it's a lamb. But when heaven comes to earth, at the coming of Christ, it's going to be the lion. Jesus was crucified as the lamb of God. He ascended into glory. And when he comes again, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We will see him not only as our great lamb, our redeemer, but we will behold him as heaven beholds him, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I wonder if there's someone here this morning or listening and they're not saved, I wonder what they think this morning when they realize the sovereignty of God in all things, holding sway over all things, and then they see that God who maybe they've fell out with or argued with or maybe struggling against, and now they've seen him giving his Beloved son, for you. He done it for you. wonder how you think you'd 
be saved outside of Christ. Do you ever think like that? I'm asking your friend, how do you feel? How do you think that you'll ever be saved outside of Christ? Because in Psalm 115, all those idols and so-called other gods, he's saying, listen, they're eyes and they can't see, and they're ears and they can't hear, they've mouths and they can't taste, they've nose and they can't smell, they must have had COVID. <laughs> Feet and they can't walk, hands and they can't handle, and so on. But I'll tell you one thing. There's no COVID with your father. So, in Revelation 5, I'm just going to give these out and we'll stop here. Next week, we'll, next week what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this out. I'm going to change it. For, I'm going to stay in the sovereignty of God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the sovereignty of God in Bible prophecy next Sunday morning. I'm going to take in the book of Daniel then into the book of Revelation. I'm going to show you the Protestant Reformation next Sunday morning, God willing. Take into the book of Daniel. You see, when you think of the, the Protestant Reformation, people think, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't teach that anymore or preach that anymore. Listen, brothers and sisters, the Protestant Reformation was the greatest move of the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost moved. In Revelation 5, verse 9, I trust you'll be here to sing this song. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And they opened the seeds thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and a nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Didn't say you're floating off to heaven, did he? We're going to reign with him when he comes back on the earth. Now take note, write this down if you're writing. In verse 9, again we have the price of redemption. The price of redemption. Thou wast slain. Thou wast slain. And then we have the worth of redemption again in the verse. And hast redeemed us, took God himself to come. That's what the worth, worthiness of it. And then in verse 9 again, we have the designer of redemption. Thou hast redeemed us to God. He designed our redemption. And we looked at it last week, Ephesians chapter 2. We looked at it last week in Ephesians chapter 2, the predestination and election. And then we have, in verse 9 again, we have the payment of redemption. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. The blood redeems us. The blood paid our debt. Then we have the election of redemption in verse 9. Out of every kindred and people and tongue and nation. He didn't say, you've redeemed every kindred, people, tongue and nation. He says, out of every kindred, people, tongue, and nation. Out of that. There's the power of redemption. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. Do you know what? I have royal blood flowing through me. Through my spirit. So of you. You're a king and a priest unto God. 
We can go into his presence at any time. The king, the priests of Israel could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But when Christ cried on the cross, it is finished. The veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. And he hath consecrated a new and living way for us. Were you to hit that big curtain if you got that far, you walk right into the presence of God and our prayer life and our worship life. We're in the presence of God this morning. You're a priest of God. Here's something I'll tell you. The book of Hebrews tells us that he hath, made, he hath consecrated a new and living way. Gives the idea that when the priests were bringing the ark back, pardon me, when they're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, David was glad to get the ark back from the Philistines. And so instead of putting it on the staves with the priests as ordered and carried the ark, which represents the presence of God, a type of Christ, instead of carrying it into Jerusalem like that, they decided to put it on a cart, and the cart's all over the place, you know. The cart must have hit a rock or a bump, and the, it goes to tip. And Uzzah goes to put his hand on it, and God smites him dead. See, you can't play with the things of God, brothers and sisters. Too many people play with the things of God. So David realizes, how do I get this? What do I do with this? And in the scripture it says, bring it on the priest's shoulders and through the blood. So he takes about six paces. I'm glad I was long enough there. <laughs> Slays an animal in the blood, gallons of it. And again, and again, the whole way up the road, the whole way through Jerusalem, blood, 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 blood. There's blood everywhere, blood all over the place. The pavement, the road, all filled with blood. You see the priests walking through it, it's on their sandals, it's on their feet, it's coming up their garments. The blood is everywhere. It's all over the place, the blood. And they're walking through the blood of these animals. They carry it in to its proper place. And when the book of Hebrews says that Christ hath consecrated a new and living way for us, it gives the idea that although the blood of Jesus was shed at Calvary once and for all, in other words, it will never be repeated again, one time only, that blood still speaks in heaven. That blood will never lose its power. And you and I, as it were, are walking as if we're walking through that street of Jerusalem, as if we're walking through the blood. We're covered in the blood. We're washed in the blood. The blood's all over me. The blood's all over you. The blood's all over you. all those members come in this morning. The blood's over everyone that's in Christ. And when you're coming into the presence of your Father, you can walk right through where that curtain was rent into his direct holy presence and say, Father, and he looks at you with his agape love. You've called the love out of his heart because you are so precious to him. And that's how we can come back to him. Through the blood, by his love. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, 
forgiving to me thy great salvation soul bless him